Spiral dial. Sci-fi with a soundscape. The sharp rattle of artillery fire pierced her ears. She twisted and contorted her limbs violently to no avail. The bandages wrapped around her seemed deceptively soft, not digging in or causing even a whisper of pain, but remaining firm. As she pushed against them, she felt a faint tingle, and the harder she pushed, the more intense the sensation became. Fearing the consequences, she fell still, just as the room fell silent. The echoes rang out for some time, fading gradually. It must be a large room. She had been aware of descending as she was brought to this place tied to the trolley, but she had no firm idea of where she was. She could smell something familiar though, sweet and salty, with the faintest hint of burnt caramel. Her mouth watered with both anticipation and fear. She listened more and more carefully, but wherever she was, the silence was now absolute, swaddling her ears as carefully as her bonds did her body. Gradually, the room became lighter and lighter. She realised that the reason she had not been able to see was not because of the strange material which enveloped her, but because the room had been pitch black. With the lights up, she was able to make out objects quite clearly through the near-transparent fabric. She was in the concert hall, on the left-hand side of the stage. The head end of the trolley appeared to be propped up so that she was clearly visible to the audience who were lying in their hammocks, apparently comatose. She had only just started to orient herself when the rattling sound started up again. She tensed, setting off that ominous tingle across her shoulder girdle and chest. Slowly, so as not to disturb the fabric, she looked around the room, trying to locate the source of the sound. It emanated from a large red and white striped machine ensconced in the far right-hand corner of the hall. It had a glass front and vibrated strongly with a noise as if it might come loose and start floating up towards the ceiling. She could not believe her eyes at first and shook her head, squinting, which set off a rather unpleasant burning sensation around her ears and eyebrows. She cursed, which set her lips off too. Remaining still, with some considerable effort, she confirmed that it was, indeed, a large popcorn dispenser. The freshly popped corn was dispensed from the bottom of the machine into small cartons which were being transferred to the side of the audience's hammocks on some sort of conveyor belt. Her stomach rumbled, mercifully, without setting off any more unwanted feelings. So you finally made it! Archie's characteristic drawl jolted her from her reverie. Jessica turned to face him despite herself, taking a deep breath to speak before she remembered how she was restricted. As she tried to utter a word, her whole body was pierced with electric shocks. Her screaming only intensified the pain until she stopped, silent tears rolling down her cheeks. I think you find it's better to stay still and refrain from talking. His voice came from far above her. He continued, coming closer, until his voice hovered somewhere around her left ear. I did warn you, didn't I? Not to bother fixing the baby, 
Well done, though. You must have actually done something which worked. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in your current predicament. An unidentified object creaked by her ear like worn leather. You'd better listen hard. Back then, I was offering you the chance to live, and yet you threw it back in my face. I'm kind of disappointed, to be honest. I've grown quite fond of you over the last few days, so I'm going to give you a second go. Just remember, only one of you is going to get picked tonight, so you're going to have to make sure that it's you. He paused. Whatever you do, don't move for at least 30 seconds. Jessica heard a click and swish. Instantly, her bonds loosened. She stayed perfectly still as instructed, counting to 60 with her eyes closed to be absolutely sure. As she did so, she felt the thin material drifting away from her to the floor. Opening her eyes tentatively, she saw a ragged pile of silvery netting at her feet, reminiscent of the material they had used for the hammocks. Her feet were resting precariously on the railing at the end of the trolley, around a foot from the stage. Awkwardly, she jumped to the right, making sure to give the pile a wide berth. Archie was nowhere to be seen. The stage was not empty, though. Another bed was propped up beside hers. She saw the faint outline of Amy's face beneath its wrapping, cheekbones casting long shadows like the ghost of a bride on her wedding day. She lifted her gaze and saw that there was one more bed on the far side of the stage, containing another heavily gravid figure. She didn't recognise this person. Tiptoeing closer, she could just about make out long black hair with streaks of grey. Before she could come close enough to identify the third person, she heard a rustling from the side of the stage, accompanied by that characteristic deep hum. The vibration of the floor almost knocked her off her feet. She rushed backstage and pulled the green room curtain in front of her as a poor attempt at camouflage. Peering out from her flimsy sanctuary, she saw three hooded figures in long white robes edged with green and purple take to the stage. The central figure carried a long, ominous-looking implement which Jessica identified as a scythe. A horrific sense of deja vu descended upon her. The hum grew louder and louder, joined by a rattling noise emanating from the precariously perched trolleys, resonating at one particular ear-splitting high pitch. The metal bars on the trolleys strained and stretched until it seemed that they might all collapse in a twisted game of dominoes. Jessica had tentatively put one foot forward in a half-hearted attempt at action when the sound stopped as abruptly as it had started. middle figure stepped towards the microphone, placed at centre stage. All three figures then slowly lowered their hoods. Jessica had a good enough view from her vantage point to identify them instantly. The central figure was revealed as Patricia herself, flanked by her acolytes Ant and Michael. 
As she grasped the microphone, she handed the scythe over to Michael for safekeeping, who took it away from her with a flourish. All of them seemed quite oblivious to the empty bed behind them. Patricia took a deep breath. Brothers and sisters, we are gathered here today to say goodbye. For just as no man has power over the spirit or can restrain the spirit, so no one has power over the day of death. Just as no one is discharged during a war, so wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. A thrill went down Jessica's spine, hearing these familiar words. Wicked she had been, and yet escape she had. For what purpose had Archie freed her? She cast her mind back over all the events of the voyage, the strange, tingling sensation she had first felt on the wharf, the mysterious computer she had spent all too brief a time with in the laboratory, the piece of paper she had rescued from the machine. Movement on the stage distracted her from her calculations. Michael had turned towards the beds. Her empty bed registered for the first time. He raised the scythe, lifted it and plunged it into the heart of her vacated mattress. The bed collapsed in a twisted pile of metal. Instead of a round of applause, the swinging scythe set up an unexpectedly strong wind in the auditorium. Gusting towards Jessica, it seemed about to betray her hiding place had she not gripped the curtain with both hands. A rustling sound circled the room as all of the hammocks were set into motion, swinging, swinging from side to side. Some of the hammocks seemed to swing more vigorously than others, as if more responsive to some hidden resonance. Michael continued towards the central bed where Amy lay. He lifted his scythe. Jessica inhaled sharply, but she did not move. Instead of bringing the scythe down sharply, Michael gently traced a line from Amy's forehead to her chin, leaving a thinly defined wound, dripping fresh red blood. As he did so, the fabric cocooning her shriveled and dropped to the floor, with the exception of two thin bands which remained, immobilizing her frail arms, keeping her in place. The breeze intensified, and the hammocks rocked even harder. For the first time, Jessica noticed that the popcorn-bearing escalator seemed to link the hammocks together in long lines, forming an envelope around each row. The central hammocks on either side of the room swung wildly, pushing the escalator out further and further, while those hammocks at the edge and centre of the room seemed almost dormant. Jessica screwed up her eyes as she looked at it. Surely she recognised something here. To think she had formed a part of it all those nights without having the necessary perspective to understand. She recalled the small piece of paper Archie had given back to her. Fumbling in her pocket with one hand, she held the curtain around her with the other. Looking at the familiar pattern, everything suddenly fell into place. This graph... She had seen it before in genetics class. The letters marking the axis, KBs, made perfect sense now. Kilobase. The measurement used to quantify the blueprint of life itself. These sloping lines, they must represent the length of a piece of DNA. 
Could the computer have used the blood from her finger to steal her genes? If so, for what purpose? Considering the possibilities, her very thoughts crystallised as ice, impeding her understanding, slowing the speed of her comprehension to a trickle. Perhaps the computer had simply plotted the length of her chromosomes. How big was a human chromosome anyway? She could have sworn it was considerably longer than 50 kilobase. She trawled her memory, trying to force the fragments of her faded knowledge into a coherent idea. She trawled her memory, trying to force the fragments of her faded knowledge into a coherent idea. As she did so, Michael approached the third and final bed, carving through the coverings to reveal a familiar face. It was Ed, the champion knitter from the ceremony Jessica had officiated at only a short while before. At least, she thought it had been only a short while before, but for Ed, it must have been much longer. His profile was that of an elderly man, his mouth falling open in the manner characteristic of those fast approaching death. Jessica looked once more at the piece of paper held in her hands, those hands which had once been worn and calloused, and yet now appeared perfectly smooth, the hands of a much younger person. Time. Time on board seemed to be moving faster for some than others. Amy and Ed lay before her, fast approaching the end of their lives, even as they created life anew. Meanwhile, she seemed to be moving in the opposite direction. But how was this happening? None of it made any sense. Movement on stage drew her eyes away from the graph. Michael handed the scythe to Patricia, who lifted it aloft and cried out, Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? The hammocks swung ever more wildly. The stage vibrated with their movement, but the people contained within them stayed silent. Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb? Patricia screamed as she uttered the word womb. She slammed the scythe onto the stage with an almighty crack. As she did so, both Ed and Amy let out blood-curdling screams. Jessica could see that they had both gone into labour, but not the slow, building, natural labour of a normal birth. No, these births seem to be induced by a demon, perhaps the devil himself. Tethered to the trolleys as they were, their backs arched with the strain of every contraction. Michael and Ant took up position, one at each bedside, and started coaching them. Michael whispering encouragement at Ed in a soothing, low voice, and Ant clutching Amy's hand. Leaning out, Jessica caught sight of Ant's face, which was uncharacteristically distraught and stained with tears. Meanwhile, Patricia remained at stage centre. She seemed to be waiting for something. What? Jessica could not imagine. The anguished noises from the stage cut deep into her soul, taking her back to those dark rooms where she had tried and failed to save so many mothers and children. 
She saw pools of blood, a mother sitting in the corner rocking her dead child, refusing to eat until both of them could be buried together. The horror was too much for her to bear. She felt herself falling backwards, stripped of all her remaining strength. She found herself lying on the floor, gazing up at Archie, his arms folded, tutting. He must have opened the green room door just as she had collapsed. Shivering, she curled up into a ball and retched uncontrollably. He crouched down over her, upper lip curling in disgust. What's keeping you? Didn't you hear what I said before? Only one of you is going to be chosen. If you want it to be you, you'll have to fight for it. Now! Jessica reached deep within herself and found a small thread of calm, untangling it from the thick thorny mass of panic which had engulfed her. She wiped the vomit from her mouth and forced herself to sit up and face him. I know what you're doing. I know you're experimenting with our DNA, and I know it's against every rule in the book. You're going to be caught, Archie. You're the one who needs to be worried, not me. Archie raised his eyebrows at her before throwing his head back and guffawing with glee. You know what you're doing, do you? Well, that makes one of us. She glowered at him, infuriated. Look at this graph and tell me what it means. I know you have the answers. She fumbled for the piece of paper and thrust it up towards him. He took it from her, giving it only a cursory glance before he let it fall to the floor. I told you, I'm only here to provide the entertainment. Musical, of course, and a few other forms of fun. Not that you've showed much interest in either, he huffed. But seriously, well done for working it all out. You'll have to explain it to me sometime, but only if you've decided that you want to survive this. Explain it to you. How about you explain it to me? Look at my hands. She stretched them upwards toward him in supplication. Look at my face. Look at that graph. The computer was measuring my DNA, Archie. As she spoke, a faint memory came back to her. A distant echo of a particularly turgid lecture at medical school. She had finally put the pieces together. I know what they're measuring. Telomeres. Archie continued to gaze outwards toward the stage. Telephones aren't allowed on board, darling. 999 is not an option. You'll have to think again. Telomeres, not telephones. Can you pay attention? She dragged herself onto her knees, clawing at his legs for support. If you hadn't noticed, I am paying attention to... He rolled his eyes. Well, I suppose in the circumstances, I can give you ten seconds to get it off your chest. Do hurry, though. Your time is somewhat limited. This is important, Archie. Telomeres are like the white space on the edge of a document. They're extra DNA on the end of your chromosomes. Like a genetic failsafe. They stop you losing important information. If I remember it right, when your telomeres run down, those mistakes start creeping in. It could be when the body grows or repairs itself. Those mistakes could cause anything. Anything from cancer to death. What happened to Amy? What's happening to me? I think they're changing our telomeres, Archie. She looked again at the graph. Look, 50 kilobase. That's five times longer than they should be. Eyes widening, she realised the full import of her discovery and wondered how long they were now. 
This is dangerous, Archie. You have to tell me what you know. We could all die. He didn't appear at all shocked by her revelation. Correction, darling. We're all going to die. Some of us sooner than others. Fascinating though this is, I for one would rather postpone this discussion until after you've dealt with the immediately life-threatening problem. You know, the one clutching a scythe in the next room? She forced herself to stand, looking him directly in the eye. Don't lie to me. You don't care if I'm alive or dead. His expression became suddenly more serious. He raised his hand and touched her cheek very gently. On the contrary, I value your life more highly than my own flesh and blood. The sounds from the stage intensified. What do you mean? His denial seemed convincing, but she knew in her heart that he was part of this evil, if not the very root of it. Archie turned his back on her. Better get a move on. Birth doesn't last long around here. But what am I meant to do? You know what you have to do. For the first time she saw that he was wearing a belt with a leather sheath attached to it. Slowly he unstrapped the belt and handed it to her. She grasped the handle and drew forth a wickedly sharp, curved blade. She lifted her gaze to him in horror. You can't be serious. He nodded. You must, Jessica. It's the only way. I'll help, if I can. But we must be quick, before Patricia turns around. I don't think I can. He sighed. I should have known you wouldn't be able to do it. Well, I suppose you don't really have to. You take out the guards. I'll deal with the rest. Looking into his eyes, Jessica felt that old, familiar warmth. She had killed him before, and yet he was prepared to kill for her. She had forgotten how good that felt. It was that simple. Her decision was made. Looking around for something else to use as a weapon, Jessica wrenched at the curtain, which came down easily enough in two halves, together with its heavy metal rail. Ripping them free, she felt strong, empowered, Stepping out onto the stage, the wind created by the hammock swept her hair back. Anne didn't see her coming. She tackled him from behind, using the curtain rod to deal him a strong blow to the head. He toppled to the floor. Jessica, what are you doing here? He gasped. Too late. He was already restrained. Jessica had knotted his arms and legs together, using one of the curtains. You need to help her, he barked. Amy needs you. She needs your help. Why are you so concerned all of a sudden? I know what you've been doing here. Amy is as good as dead. And you knew. All this time, you knew. So don't expect me to attend to your pity party, you filthy rapist. She kicked him in the balls for good measure. He doubled up in pain. Archie was behind her, urging her on. As she stepped over and he shouted up at her. He's the one you want, not me. I thought he loved me. I thought he loved both of us. Jessica didn't look back. She strode over to Michael, taking him down with one swing of her curtain rail. He fell heavily to the ground with a crack. Out. Cold. She restrained him with the curtain just in case, tightening the knots on her knees to be sure. 
The vibrations in the room seem to reach a peak. Both Ed and Amy let out long wails as if they were exhaling the last breath in their lungs. Then there was silence. Jessica felt suddenly afraid. Patricia turned to face the beds, extending her arms. Looking up, Jessica saw that both Amy and Ed were unmistakably dead. Their limp bodies hung from the trolleys, devoid of all life and colour. Before them stood Archie, holding one baby in each arm. Congratulations, my dear, Patricia purred. God has given us a bumper crop this cycle. I want you to know that your hard work in this regard does not go unappreciated up there. She made a faintly twee pointing gesture with her right index finger as she whispered the last two words. Now, hand them over and I will make the choice. Archie handed her the babies. Patricia smiled at both of them and started speaking to them in a high voice. So cute, aren't they? God does send these things to try us. Still, it has to be done. Do you have any preference? Patricia asked. Actually, I do, Archie replied. May I? He lifted the dagger. Patricia nodded, holding the children out to him, one in each arm. Jessica felt powerless to intervene. An unearthly wail split the air as a dark shadow descended from above Patricia's head. The distinctive yowl meant only one thing. Finn was here. Clawing Patricia's head, he leapt to safety, hissing. Patricia fell backwards from the stage, letting the children fall. This spurred Jessica into action. She leapt to her feet, rushing to catch the babies, but before she could do so, Archie grabbed her by both arms, restraining her, and watched both of them falling, falling onto the hard concrete in front of the stage. As they made impact, the whole ship seemed to shudder. An almighty creak was heard, a rushing noise, and a terrible rumble. A bright white light shone upon them. Looking up at the roof, she could see that it had become transparent. The stars and the moon unleashed in all of their radiant, cleansing, glory, spellbound. She stood entranced. The ship paused. The bright stars cast a shadow on a dark, roiling pit of water as they hesitated, teetering on the edge above it. In the moment before falling, she clung to that last sight of the moon, holding her beauty in her mind's eye as the pit dropped out of her stomach and they fell into a black hole filled with foam and silence and darkness.